Welcome to the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. This is Amber. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. Your podcast of being yourself, no matter how many people run screaming in terror away from you. Well, that's my normal day. <laughs> this week, we're talking about Bureau 13 and monsters that you just can't hide. There are a lot of monsters in Bureau 13 that can hide in the woodwork that have managed to make a good adjustment to the modern civilization. They've figured out ways of camouflaging themselves. But there's some monsters that simply cannot be hidden. There's just something about them that makes them announce themselves whenever they show up. And that's a problem. It's a, it's, it means that the Bureau has to be called into action, and a lot of times it means that the Bureau has to destroy them rather than try to conserve them. You have joined the most secret government agency that you have never heard of. The 13th Bureau of Justice, otherwise known as Bureau 13. You are a government agent charged with the duty of disposing of the greatest unnatural threats to the people and the, and the economy of the United States and Canada. You will work under the knowledge that you are funded by an organization so secret, even the highest government officials do not know of your existence. Welcome to the elite band of people who wander the dark streets of the night, ever searching for the horrors that should not exist in this modern age. You are a special agent, stalking the night fantastic. Hero 13 is a Gen Con award-winning RPG of modern horror and paranormal adventure. It's available from Tritag Games at tritaggames.com in both the original editions and in the D20 edition, with a new Savage Worlds edition coming soon. Remember that wherever the supernatural waits, good and evil, the agents of Hero 13 will be there. But the evil is growing. So, the first question I guess we'd have to ask is, what kind of monsters are we talking about? Trav? Well, we could refer to examples from movies. I mean, the most obvious would be from the two Hellboy movies, Hellboy and Abe Sapien. Now, their partner, Liz, uh, Liz Sherman, normal human. The only time she looks different is when she manifests her uh, pyrokinetic powers. Hellboy and Abe Sapien, not so much. One is a devil, the other is an ichthyoid humanoid. So yeah, they have to operate in secret. I believe uh, Johann Strauss, the guy in the suit made of steam, he's a little conspicuous too, so he would probably qualify. Because let's face it, it's still kind of weird watching some guy walk around in a tw 1920s diving suit. Most of the people that you just mentioned, okay, I mean, a lot of them, if you were to really cover them up, you know, like put on a really big hood or a mask on them and drape them with a, you know, a large cloak or something like that, they might 
be you might see them and maybe raise some wonders about them, but they wouldn't immediately go and say, "Look, it's a monster over there," because they're both basically humanoid in shape. And that probably would have worked really well, maybe, you know, every time before, let's say, the the middle part of the 20th century. Because back then, before that point, there was no such thing as reconstructive surgery. There was a lot of people that got injured, especially facial injuries and jaws blown off, got pieces of their heads blown off or burned or things like that. And there was it was quite common in European countries to see a large number of people walking around with masks on their faces to hide their deformities. But you really can't do that these days, right, uh, John? In some areas, you walk around with a mask, you're, you're probably get picked, you'll at least get detained by the cops asking you why you're wearing your mask like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's signs in a lot of public buildings that says faces must be uncovered, no hoodies, and they really get antsy uh, you know, whenever it comes around time for Halloween because there's a lot of people walking around the streets with masks on. Yeah. I mean, it's probably a big problem around ski uh, slopes where guys come walking in wearing their uh, balaclavas and so forth and not realizing they got lifted up. Well, that, that does raise a possibility for a solution, which is for them to live in the far north where wearing that kind of protective face gear would be the norm. Well, if you're a Naga and you're living down in the swamps of Louisiana, I don't think that's going to work out quite well for you. There are some monsters whose ecological needs prevent them, even in these modern days, of living up into, you know, uh, doing something like that. Okay. Well, here's a, a couple other monsters that just can't hide. Godzilla. No. Well, yeah. No. Oh, well. <laughs> He's Godzilla. Yeah, there's there's a lot of monsters that are simply too big to hide as anything other than a monster. Hellboy is eight foot tall. <laughs> he's almost in that. He tall, yeah. He, Ron Perlman's a big guy anyway, so he yeah. lifts his. That's it. But well, let's see. Uh, there's a race in D twenty Dark Matter, which is based on the old Alternity game known as the Warren. Now these things are basically. How do you spell that? W-E-R-E-N. Okay. It is in D20 Dark Matter. Um, as I said, it's based on the old Alternity game by TSR. And what they are is essentially, they're Sasquatches, and how they explain it in that setting is the Sasquatch were merely, um, what's the word of like regressed versions of Warren Scouts that were left behind on Earth. Now, the Warren are very cultured. They have a Renaissance-level technology, but they're also like nine, eight to nine feet tall <laughs> and covered in fur. You can't hide that, and I'm sure they don't want to go through a depilatory. So, yeah, they would be a race that would come to mind where, okay, hiding them is just really not an option. Okay. Yeah, there's, uh, there's also some other things. Um, uh, for example, one of the terms for things like Bigfoot and Sasquatch is skunk ape. Nope. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah, there's some monsters that exude an aura that is very noticeable by people and is going to, people would tolerate it if they went in passing, but if they lived anywhere, it wouldn't be very long before 
the neighbors would be putting their foot down and, and driving them out, uh, especially once they find out what they really look like. I mean, they are supposedly intensely odiferous. <laughs> and also, some of them, you know, like I said, I mean, it can be a bad smell. It can be a good smell. <laughs> I mean, it could be very perfumey, too. But the point is, is that most monsters, and especially in a modern game like Bureau 13, they really don't want to uh, draw attention to themselves. Dude, you smell like baked bread. <laughs> now, there are some options. There, I mean, there are some situations where there's a smell, but it's a different kind of smell. For example, if it's a pheromone smell, where the monster has an attractant to it. Or, or, or pheromones work both ways. Right, but I'm just saying is that, you know, you have a monster, he's a monster, okay, and he's trying to hide, but he's drawing every gender-appropriate humanoid in the neighborhood to be up close in his personal, or her, or its personal best friend. If this is merely an attractant and not some kind of a seduction, let us say, then once they find out that they're the presence of this creature, they're going to have an immediate parting of the ways as far as being wanting to be there and this this monster is not going to last very long unless of course it does the only thing it can do under those circumstances and that is kill the person is there any other kinds of smells you can think of that could also be a problem along these lines oh so critters that uh, you know are prone to flatulence yeah Oh, God, there was one in Doctor Who that they had the zipper along the top of their head. It was during oh. uh, uh, 10's era, and they had the zipper along the top of their head because the suits would compress them into a human form. Other than that, they were like, they kind of looked like a mixture between the Pillsbury Doughboy and the Michelin Man. And right. when they compressed yep. into the human suits, because of the compression, there was a lot of gas, so they were burping and passing gas all the time. Hmm. Yeah, and I, and I forget. I want to say uh, Slytherin, not Slytherin, Slytherin or something like that. Slytherin. Slytherin. Thank you. Yes, that is it. Yeah, yep. that race would be hard to hide because they're just passing the gas all the time, and even though they have a very good camouflage, that suit that they wear, something about their basic nature continues to you let people know that they're not, you know, a really good person to have around, okay? Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned something else, which is sort of uh, another form of, of problem, and that is sound. If you're one of the... Oh, the Warforged from Eberron. Oh, yeah, my favorite D&D setting, yeah. They don't have a noise so much, but, I mean, they would maybe click and clack a little because there's, like, metal plates and obsidian and... The wood fibers is what gives them their mobility. Yeah, Warforge, I'm sure that stealth may not be an option for them. They would have to enchant their own armor, their composite plating with a stealth uh, special ability like you can with plate mail. So, right. so, yeah. Yeah, if you were a robot, especially if you were a clockwork robot or a steampunk robot, you'd be oh, yeah. making all kinds of noises all the time, and there would just be no way anybody wouldn't notice you clicking and whirring and hissing if you had the steam engine and oh yeah oh yeah if you're one of those things that exudes 
let's say, uh, uh, an ultrasonic sound, all the dogs in the neighborhood are going to get upset about you. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's also possible that the pe- that you could cause people around you to become, uh, was it the subsonics or the ones that cause people to, 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 to get nervous or fearful just to be in your presence? Yeah, or if you exude slime from your body all the time. You know. Right, yeah. I mean, uh, you were mentioning Slime Girl. Trav. No, no that was uh, that was that was John and Amber. Yeah. That was me. Yeah. So tell us about Slime Girl. Slime girls are pretty much throughout everything in in my experience. They're typically human shaped, and I suppose there can be slime boys too. But they are slime, literally. That if you touch them, they have. A resistance to them, but if you push hard enough, you can break through that symbiote of flesh, I guess, and they can mold to whatever's around them. So, sure, they could easily wiggle through a keyhole if they wanted to. It's not like they have a defined shape that they have to conform to, they just are human shaped for convenience and security. But a backside for slime girls or slime boys is they would probably leave a gelatinous trail of slime behind them, kind of like a snail. Right, so there would be a residue. Yeah. I would imagine that whatever they would touch with their fingers, they would also leave that residue. So a way for them to avoid that would probably be to wear confining clothes that force them into a form. Like filling up a a glove with goo for lack of a better explanation so they can touch things and they won't leave that residue plenty of latex wear out there they can probably put on and have a normal form (laughs) yeah this is something where you could get a cat suit it would work perfectly because it's it's human shape this reminds me of the movie striptease where the governor, played by Burt Reynolds, in one scene he shows up and he's covered head to toe in Vaseline. Oh, God. And he's shaking people's hands. And they're going, huh? (laughs) (laughs) And he's whispering to the female lead. He says, it's in my boots, too. (laughs) It's like really enjoying it. It's like, oh, man, you got to be kidding. That somebody like that could pass at a distance, but once you get close enough, there's going to be a sheen about them. And as you say, they're going to leave a trail wherever they go. So it won't be very long before the uh, secret will be out. If I remember correctly, they, they actually really don't have a face per se, other than they may have a, the outlines of a face. So I think, are they, aren't they translucent as well? Slime girls, yes. Yes, yeah. they're very, very translucent. Yeah. They could be thicker. I I guess it it could be circumstantial to temperature that they are gel. I mean, if they're if it's colder, I'd imagine it would also be harder for them to move because they're more solid. And there's I evaporation mean, They depend problems. on their liquidity. Is is that even a word? It is now. Yes, it is. And and they also probably would evaporate in a dry environment, so they would need some source of, of water or whatever fluid they're using. These. 
to... I would uh, imagine that they would need a very specific climate control. If it's too dry, they could dry out and wither away. If it's too wet, they might risk drowning in themselves. Or being unable to retain their form because there's so much water. So if you ever go to a con and you see a room that's completely covered in plastic, then you there might be a slime person there. Or a really fun par- room party. Well, I might have to make the trip for that con, yeah. <laughs> so we, we've covered things like smelly or noisy, or they leave some kind of residue or something that, that kind of gives a real telltale for them. Then there's the monsters that are simply dangerous to be in their presence. Oh, I'm reminded of one. Uh, I believe it was a Clive Barker film called Nightbreed. It came out in 92. And there was the porcupine lady. Okay. Okay. A lady who had porcupine quills everywhere. I have it, but I don't remember. I mean, other than she was probably in it, I can believe it. <laughs> so, yeah, this would be, what? what's the South Park meme? <laughs> You're going to have a bad day. <laughs> yeah. There's a whole mythos of creatures that are dangerous to be around. Oh, a lightning elemental would be another, especially yeah. in uh, you know, today's very electronic society. Yeah, there'd be stuff shorting out left, right, and center. Right, and I was referring to Cthulhu mythos. Okay, well, yeah. Where simply looking at the creature causes you to become insane. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Looking at Cthulhu is supposed to cause instantaneous insanity. Right. But yeah. is that just with clear vision? I mean, think of, um, like, the Weeping Angels from Doctor Who. They're only a threat when you look at them, but when you don't look at them, or when they're only a threat when you don't look at them, I'm sorry. Yeah. But when you look away, that's when they're dangerous. Or, yeah. like, the basilisk in, or, like, the basilisk in Harry Potter, it they were supposed to die if they looked directly at his eyes. But by looking at it through the camera or through the ghost, they don't die. They just become paralyzed. Is there some room for error in that? If you look at them through something and not directly at them? The idea is, is that there are some things that not only are, uh, was man not meant to know, man was not even meant to experience there's things that transcend our perception of time and space. And when we look at them, we're kind of trying to make a connection to them. And it makes our brain hurt so bad that we have hemorrhages. Yeah. Think of Cthulhu as a, as a massive presence attack. It doesn't matter if you, if you, all you see is just right toenail. That's enough to drive you mad. There's a lot of monsters that are dangerous to be around. You know, generates its own atmosphere, and it's chlorine. It's acidic. Uh, Amber brought some good ones. Basculus, um, cockatrice, um, what's the generic term for um, Medusa? Medusa? Um, a gorgon? Gorgon. 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 Gorgons, yes. You have to look at them, and they have to look at you. From- yeah, at SBI contact. Depending upon your myth, yes. If it is a matter of meeting the eyes and a pair of sunglasses, will probably take care of the, the problem. If it's simply looking at the Medusa, whether or not you know, she is wearing anything or everything, just by being in her presence, you're going to be in big, big trouble. 
should be wearing a chajar because otherwise snakes everywhere are going high, high, high. There are monsters that have appendages like snakes and tentacles. Part of their job is to find food and feed the monster. And it happens autonomously. So you know, here's the monster having this nice conversation. Meanwhile, your buddy is getting snatched and shoved into an orifice. And the monster's like, hey, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, I'm talking to the... You know, it's like they have no control. I mean, not, not all monsters have control over all bodily functions or appendages. They just go and do their thing. And that could be a real problem. An extra set of arms would be almost just as bad, depending uh, on how large how, how large they are and where they're placed. Wings. Angel from the X Men could hide could strap his wings down. No, wings big enough to make a person fly. You can't strap down and hide. There's a lot of possibilities for monsters out there that are just simply unhideable. When they show up, it's an incident, and the bureau team is going to have to deal with it. So let's talk about ways of dealing with it. Not all these incidents are going to be with evil, evil monsters. It may just be simply someone finally encroached on their territory and they're making their presence known. You know, their habitat has been eliminated and they, there's only one place to go, and that's in man's domain. Yeah. Or uh, they've been hurled out of their normal time and space by a warp or a, a spell gone awry or possibly even a summons by an evil mage who decided the, this would be a great monster to hurl at my enemies but doesn't bother to clean up after himself. So, of course, now the monster is hanging around seeking whom it may devour because it has to eat. And it, it may come from a time when it doesn't even know what human beings are as far as being intelligent creatures. Or they set, they built that new nudist camp in Oregon, right next to Sasquatch's realm. <laughs> Ooh. Or maybe we decide to drill to the center of the Earth and we wake up a whole bunch of reptile people. Yeah, the mole men. Or Silurians or whatever. So when that happens, when these monsters show up and they have to be dealt with, what are uh, some solutions other than killing them outright? Well, relocation is always the first one you got to consider. Okay, and where would you relocate them to, John? That's the problem. Say you're dealing with a Naga who's guarding something in the middle of a swamp, and they're draining the swamp. She can't leave because that thing's still in the swamp. Either you're going to have to move the thing that's down there, or somehow free her of her duty so she can go someplace else herself and hide out. There may be some kind of a geas on the monster that is preventing it from being relocated to a place where it could live safely without danger to human beings and vice versa. But let's say that could be taken care of. What are some of our possibilities for places to put these kinds of monsters? Well, in the lore, there was that unicorn they found and, and set free in, uh, was it uh, Yosemite? Yellowstone. Of course, northern Canada is really a good place because it's very sparsely populated. And by putting them there, they're outside the confines of the United States. And by the rules of the Bureau 13, not their problem anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but then you're pushing it off in the Canadians, and they're like, hey, 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 quit dumping your trash here. Another place, the rainforests of the Amazon, Venezuela, Brazil. That's very sparsely populated, other than, let's see, 25,000 Yanomami with a 200 to 250 per village, or what? that's the term, village. And I just researched this for my Maze World campaign. Shabono. Now, yeah, the Amazon rainforest 
is still a pretty lush, thick area. They're not going to be seen from the air. You have to be in the forest to see them. That might be another place. It's still very sparse. Not many people go there. That could be another place for relocation. The Soviet Union, when they finally released their population statistics, it's much, much less populated than anybody thought. Siberia is pretty much an empty wasteland, except for places where they're mining or doing certain things. You're right, it is very sparsely populated, but there are areas where there actually has been a tick boom and so forth in various places in Siberia. But you're right, for the most part, it's tundra. And it's huge. And it's, yeah, freaking huge. Right. This isn't quite so good because I'm thinking about the place that was known as Transylvania. Those mountains, they're very rugged. Carpathian. Yeah, the Carpathian Mountains. They, there are people there, but they have a tendency to be more insular. And, of course, there is always the highlands of Scotland. Ah, Scotty! Yeah. <laughs> they like to have their own country back, and they have been wanting so for 400 years. Freedom! If they have a problem with a monster, they'd probably want to settle it themselves. Of course, then you have the problem of invasive species then. Say it's not intelligent, an animal-level intelligence critter. You just put him in the middle of a big plate of bacon, and he's going to eat until he's full. You have to take into account their feeding habits, what they're looking for. If you put them in the wrong place, you're just simply creating problems for the next team to show up and take care of. Right. I agree. Yeah, this is a better solution for intelligent monsters than non-intelligent monsters. And then there's a couple other places within the lore of Bureau 13. One is the island where they send agents to that are bad agents. Wait a minute. I've seen the movie The Island. I know where this is going. No, no. Wrong kind of island. <laughs> it's more like The Prisoner. Yeah, I was thinking then that would be the best thing. Yeah. Right. If you read any of the Outpost game supplements, there is a moon base. Ah, cool. So you could send them to the moon. I mean, if you have creatures that don't have to breathe, the moon's a great place because, you know, you've got no atmosphere. and Well, as long as they stay away from the Selenites and they stay away from the Lost Cities and so forth that's on the moon, they should be okay. Yeah, and of course, if they stay on the far side of the moon, it's even better. Yeah, they can deal with Nazis there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But anyways, that's part of the lore of Bureau 13, so you could do that. There is one other place you can put them, and that is... The Bangor Main Facility. Yeah. Yes, there is a holding facility there. Yeah. Right, which is a pocket dimension where they keep all kinds of things that must not be seen by your everyday rank-and-file American. I have a couple questions. We're assuming that these are fully grown adult monsters, right? non-human conforming. Is that a, a safe assumption? They're non-humanoid or they're humanoid, but they have some aspect about them that keeps them from being hidden. Okay, next question. Are they Earth-born? Were they born here? I, I don't think it matters, but what, what's your point? My point is, what happened to their childhood? How were they not discovered until just now? How did they avoid getting killed or hunted how did they survive up until we find and relocate them obviously they've done something right unless you're following a string of murderers their environment could have been encroached upon by man they could have been summoned by a mage and then just discarded they could have passed through a temporal or spatial rift from another universe or another place in space and time okay but we're assuming that for all of them 
There's not going to be that many of them because most monsters that this sort of thing happens to get killed by people. And then they're gone and it's not a problem. If it's a little gnomish guy who's really a problem, your average farmer is going to take him out pretty quick. I kind of have difficulty believing that. It's one thing to summon something that's mindless and that you can use, discard, and kill at your leisure. But I would imagine that these things are going to be sentient. They're going to be intelligent. And if they realize that something is trying to kill them, they'll fight back. We're not limiting it to just unintelligent monsters. There are intelligent monsters. But if they are intelligent, the topic of the, of the discussion tonight is there's something about them that keeps them from being hidden. Okay. Say you have a race of uh, gargoyles. You see them all the time. You just don't notice them because they're sitting on the edge of buildings pretending to be, well, gargoyles, the, the, the concrete kind. God, that sounds like something that somebody would make a TV cartoon series. What kind of idea? Oh, never mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, John, by definition, that doesn't go with our topic because they can be hidden. Except that gargoyles are 19th century. Yeah, you see a lot more gargoyles. These days, you don't see very many gargoyles, and it's usually just a head. And they're kind of only really on churches, aren't they? Or really old buildings? Yeah. Yeah, and the old buildings get renovated, and some guy goes up there and starts cleaning things up. And I don't think they care to have the guy with the brush brush him in certain places, you know, try to try to clean them up. <laughs> Listen, man, my wings are real sensitive. So there are places that you can take these monsters and relocate, and they can be happy there, assuming, of course, that you don't relocate them just someplace else for someone or something else to kill them out of your sight. Other possibilities, when we say they can't be hidden, we're talking about they can't be hidden without extreme measures. And there are a number of extreme measures that can be used in order to hide monsters. And you mentioned one, John, in, the, in our pre-conversation, the someone else's business field, or what was it? Someone else's problem field. Right. This is a, a magical or psionic device whose job it is to affect everybody around them so that even if you see them, your mind just simply ignores them because it's somebody else's problem. It's a perception filter. As long as they make the token effort like wearing an overcoat and a hat, that's good enough. Even though the overcoat's made out of asbestos and so's a hat, you get around the fact that they're smoldering and, and they're about the temperature of a, of a uh, charcoal grill. You still, you, you don't bother looking at them because it's someone else's problem. <laughs> A lot of times, magical or technological invisibility can really make a big difference. That's how supposedly the Sasquatch are able to, because that's what they did in the television series. Oh, Harry and Henderson's, they're, they're the masters of camouflage. We just don't see them. Most creatures, unless the Bureau was able to show up and provide that for them, that's not a natural ability that they have. It would have to be gifted to them. So you'd have to have an organization that does have some level of super science and the ability to maintain it, or mages who could enchant some device, cloak, heads, you know, a headpiece or whatever, uh, some kind of a illusion to make them look like they are something else, like uh, hopefully something innocuous. Are there any other things that the rest of you guys can think of? Well, shape-changing spells would work as long as you can keep, keep them going, or you have a, some sort of amulet they have to wear that allows them to assume a human form. Or like the hat of disguise from D&D &D or something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. One method you could do is sort of the opposite of one of the reasons why they can't be hidden, is something that really reduces them in size. 
If you could miniaturize them, they could live out their lives in a microscopic environment and no one would ever know they were there. You could you know, have a, a farm somewhere where they, you, know, you, you keep all your miniaturized monsters. You could have a really bizarre ecosystem going there. Yeah, you say that and the first thing that I think of is a little ant farm. Well, I'm sure that they would have ants there too. Yeah, they'd be farming the ant. Oh, there's Bessie. You gotta go milk the ant. Those aren't dragonflies. Those are dragons flying. Yeah, yeah. Remember that movie that was done by N. Shamblin where he had this whole area that he had marked off and people grew up inside it thinking that they were in some medieval wilderness and they were, in fact, just in this protected area. It wasn't the colony, but it was something like that. So there are relatively large pieces of land that are currently, you know, being held in trust for various organizations that could be co-opted for this purpose of creating a a reservation uh, for these kind of creatures if you could do something like miniaturize them so that they could then find their own ecological balance with other creatures that might have similar problems, but still finding some kind of ecological niche in that area, be able to survive in peace uh, or relative, you know, as, as much peace as there is in nature, which is pretty you know, vicious sometimes. Yeah, of course, we don't all know that miniaturization beams and, and rays are all, always, always, always temporary. No, no, that's not true. I think that Professor Ray Robinson would have made one to make it stick. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole series of novels called The Micronauts from an English writer. Oh, oh, Micronauts. Oh, I'm thinking the old action figures from Kenner. Never mind. I'm not talking about the comic book. They actually cloned microscopic. When I say microscopic, I'm talking about maybe three inch, three, four inches tall bodies for, for normal people. They, they were identical to their normal size in shape, but they were now that big and they transferred their minds into these microscopic bodies and they lived on a property that was listed as biological testing lab you know laboratory do not enter and so of course nobody ever would want to go there because they'd be afraid of getting some horrible disease or something and these people lived in essentially an overgrown backyard but that's not miniaturization that's just making small versions of you miniaturization means you're taking normal mass and shrinking it down it's got to be some sort of technological jig going on. Otherwise, you shrink down some, a person my size down, say, to two inches, I leave footprints up to my hips as I walk around in dirt because I have all that mass being concentrated on my feet. Well, John, you're, you're kind of making a straw man there, okay? Because if you're using a solution that miniaturizes people, then there's going to be a solution to that. Whether you're hiding the mass in our dimension, whether you're simply throwing away 99% of the atoms and keeping only a few, you know, you use some kind of exotic matter to counteract it. They use magic just to make it happen because it's magic. I mean, come on, John. You know, it's, this is Bureau 13. Anything can happen in this game. If there's a farm, it's probably a farm where there's a miniaturization field over the farm that keeps everything shrunk down. So if something escapes, it may stay shrunk down for a while, then all of a sudden, ah, I'm getting bigger again. That would, might be a good it, that might be a good adventure that might explain to Amber where some of these monsters came from. Where's their childhood? Would have had a perfectly fine childhood on the farm, and then one day it said, Hey, I don't have to listen to you anymore, you grumps, you you know, you you people who keep telling us we have to stay on this farm. Bruce, if you're gonna throw a teenage fit, do it right. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't have that register in. <laughs> I can do what I want. I am 16. You're not the boss of me. Yeah. <laughs> You're not the boss of me anymore. <laughs> you don't know the secret heart of a woman. You don't know me. You don't know what I've done. Oh, oh no, you are not doing that. Because I can, I can sense Pip moving the neck back and forth. Yeah. Oh, that. Oh, my. Doing the neck. You don't know me. Yeah. Okay. Mm-mm, doing the bob. You don't know me. Mm-mm. Here. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. That would be a possibility. You know, Superman had that whole city in a bottle. Candor, yes, the lost city of Candor. I always figured that, you know, don't these people ever want to get out? Yeah, why doesn't Superman find some way to unshrink him? I mean, he's Superman, you know? I mean, he knows Henry Pym. Henry Pym could unshrink them. Ah, 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 stop mixing fandoms. <laughs> ah, 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 ah. Isn't Henry Pym in the Marvel Universe? Yeah, that's why I told oh, John. Oh, sorry. That was don't mix fandoms. Yeah. There was an ant person in, suit in the DC superheroes, though, wasn't there? Right. And there's also, uh, is it Adam Strange? Yeah. Yeah. Who's, yeah. you know, Adam Man? Yeah. Okay. Okay. That would actually be a great solution if you had a place where you had a fairly large piece of property and you miniaturize everything down to a thousandth of its original size and you pretty much had a continent there that you could put all your monsters on and they have the ability to have a true ecology going. That would be a great place to do that. That's not in the current Bureau 13 game, but it sure sounds like it should be, doesn't it? You'd probably put it someplace in in the Bangor main facility area because that way it's even safer because I can see that perhaps the, the administration field doesn't work instantly, so a crow or, or a falcon comes swooping down and grabs Godzilla, doesn't realize that he just grabbed Godzilla. We had a big discussion about Banger, Maine, and my view of Banger, Maine was that there was a time differential in there, and not just it was one to a hundred or one to a thousand. kind of came into the middle, and then if you went to the right, time got faster, and if you went to the left, time got slower. So you could actually take some of these creatures that were really a problem and drop them into the far end of the time dilation. So for them, the next 10,000 years is a second. By that time, humanity may have either gotten to the point where they're not worried about monsters anymore. They might have moved out into space and there might be a million, million worlds out in space for those monsters to go to. Oh, that's one that we forgot to mention. Maybe the fringe where they can relocate them. Oh, if they're fringe, yeah, yeah. I mean, by the time you get to the late campaign in Fringeworthy, if you figure out how to make, if you could freeze them, if you could put them into some kind of stasis so the fringe pass doesn't treat them as being alive, a lot of monsters would be that way normally, like a fire elemental. I mean, is it alive? I mean, does the fringe pass even recognize that? So I'm just saying, you you, you might be able to relocate them to an entirely different world away from. America, which I'm sure the Bureau would be happy as a lark about. Like for some, like the Fundamental, either you have to take them someplace that supports that sort of yeah. thing, or they go to one of the alts right. that, may be, that may be empty, a large pocket stop, or an alt that maybe just a forest. Well, well, now it's got, it's got Sasquatch living there and all the other critters living there. But there could be a really big problem, and we've mentioned this in Bureau 13, and that is, is that a lot of times supernatural creatures are providing some kind of linchpin ecological purpose to the world. And if you relocate them, like 
put them in the Bangor Main, which is another dimension, or send them out on the fringe past to another world, or send them to the future, or send them way into the past, or do something like that, then they're not doing their ecological purpose, and something really bad happens. I mean, the Zug Island uh, mermaid may be, may be doing a, a lot of good of cleaning up the D- Detroit River that we don't know about. Get rid of the Zug Island mermaid, and all of a sudden, that section of the Detroit River just turns into a sludge pile. Right. You may find out that the monster that's so smelly is actually keeping away all the... Death beetles. <laughs> there are swarms of monsters appear from time to time, and then they disappear for no good reason. Well, maybe it's because one of these monsters is there, and their smell or their drop leavings or whatever like that poisons them or causes them to leave. So you get rid of these monsters because they're a problem because they're noticeable, then bad things start happening. There is one other solution that you could do, and that's simply to remove the people that's causing the problem. Yeah. yeah. You can create some kind of a, a toxic spill. You can create a colony of your own, basically a perimeter of Bureau 13 agents or people who are friends of the Bureau, and if their sole purpose is to create a buffer zone between the rest of society and these monsters that can't be hidden. Just hope the Google Earth doesn't take a snapshot. <laughs> oh, God. Somewhere in the Midwest, off of one of the major highways, there's this little town that no one goes to because it's, well, you know, it's, it's a little cowpoke town. Well, what we, no one realizes is that there's a small cadre of beer agents that live there, and then the rest of the town are, well... Things that go bump in the night and things you can't walk down the street without being without being spotted. Right. It's it's basically a, 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 a monster retirement home. Right. A retirement village. Your bureau agents are basemen for the town. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, they're, they're the ones that walk out. You know, they're the police officers that go and shoo people away who try to come and visit this supposedly picturesque town that they've heard about not too many people go there well then it probably has a whole lot of you know just you know authentic type something or other you know yeah we don't like strangers in this part of the town you might want to go somewhere else yeah yeah you're like there and your tail that's broken smack yeah you must be getting that fixed (laughs) there's a garage 20 miles away in the next town go use it yeah yeah that's a pretty motorhome you have. It's a shame if something happened to it. Yeah. 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 You're not hippies, are you? You're not Republicans, or you're not Democrats, or you know, <laughs> whatever you think is the most likely thing that they fall into. Yeah. Of course, we got enough surveillance going on. You can spot and say, yeah, it's two old folks. Looks like they got, uh, oh, they have a Mondale sticker in the back of their, of their RV. So send out Paul. He'll take care of them. <laughs> right. Right. And of course, the last thing that I can think of is there's lots of memory altering uh, techniques out there. You try to keep them safe every once in a while. Somebody runs into them and they see something they shouldn't. But you've got that guy with the paintball pistol and the DSMO memory wipe drug. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they borrow one of those neuralizers from the men in black. The memory white drugs is that one in 100 chance of wiping, completely wiping the brain. Well, you know, it's just like everything else. The bureau agents do their best, you know. We're using that flashy thing, Kay. You're going to wipe out most of her medical school. Yeah. Or give her brain cancer, like they mentioned in the second movie. What if there's like something that's hallucinogenic or temporary um, distortion of reality? So people will 
you may have seen it, but the way that your body reacts to maybe pheromones or something that's maybe slipped into your drink, maybe the way that you present when you're trying to tell the story of what you saw, people will say you were on a bad acid trip or something. And the beers, you can always add a little extra something to your Coke can. But make sure that you do have a tr- bad trip. Yeah, monster uh, roofies. <laughs> you know, herbal stuff or certain fungi. <laughs> Whatever you say, John. <laughs> you know, a little mescaline will probably help right there, you know. Yeah. Yeah, mescaline. <laughs> and it's natural. Yeah, good mix. <laughs> yeah. Just a little mushrooms mixed up with a little mescaline mixed up with some, you know, 10-year-old scotch. <laughs> and then you wonder why George is staying on the roof completely naked but painted gold. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe George is gold at that point. You know, maybe they ran into somebody with a Midas touch. It must I, suck to be a guy and have the Midas touch. I'm just saying. <laughs> I published an adventure based on that. This guy did get the Midas touch. He was a teacher and accidentally turned one of his students into a gold statue. And the town said, you know, our town's doing really bad. We need to arrest this guy. And then they just started pressing stuff up against him so they could go out and grind it up and sell it as, as gold ore. It was called All the Glitters. It was in uh, one of the Infinite Cro- uh, sorry, the uh, Terror Watch. Uh, newsletters, yeah. So did they grind the kid up too? No, no. Any of the people that happened, they were kind of hoping that at some point maybe you know they'd be able to figure out some way of reversing that. But they were totally okay with the idea of you know grabbing your you know gopher, your squirrel, whatever, and, and doing that. They were trying to get his cooperation by guilting him into doing it, You're using this power that he abhorred because he had literally killed some little girl, you know, turned her into a statue. Who knows when she'll be able to come back? He didn't know. He wasn't immortal or anything. That he just suddenly found he had this ability. And terrible things happened as a result. This guy was very easily hidden. They kept him hidden very well, and they were they were basically exploiting him. Those are a few solutions. Ultimately, like I say, a lot of these times, what happens with these monsters, and because there's really the basis for a lot of the adventures, are monsters. For some reason, they appear. They can't hide. Therefore, they create an incident, and the bureau has to go in there and usually destroy them especially if they're unintelligent. That's just part and parcel of being a Bureau 13 agent. If you can save them, part of the Bureau 13 ethics to be able to do it, especially if they're American-born, because the laws of the United States do not recognize non-human species, even intelligent non-human species, as being citizens. So theoretically, the Bureau is not under obligation uh, as part of their ethics to protect the citizens of the United States if they're monsters. But I think that kind of falls into their more ethical side where all God's creatures are important. And if they want to keep God on their side, better be a little bit circumspect. Well, respectful of life in all its myriad forms. You were talking about big things. I also was thinking about making things small to hide them. <laughs> You'd have to deal with things like pixies and other small folk. They're just as hard to explain as, as the nine-foot giant with bat wings. But how would you see them? I mean, wouldn't they be really easy to hide? Well, you would imagine so, but, you know, if the, a lot of these critters like to live near near people. And if you're living in downtown New York... Where are they living? They're living in the alleyways? They're living in the sewers? They're living on the street? Soon they actually see them in that in those locales. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. I understand that's one reason why they get relocated. Mm-hmm. Most of the times, the Bureau is going to try to relocate them or hide them if they can, you know, like on a rooftop garden that's a Bureau 13 apartment, let's say. You know, you could put a whole colony of, of pixies up on, a, on one of those, those places. Yeah. yeah, or a whole troop of borrowers. We'll keep you all nice and taken care of. And here's a bunch of stuff you can borrow from us. Right. But ultimately, if the Bureau can't hide the creatures, can't do something with them, part of their charge is to keep the American people from knowing that the supernatural exists. They're going to have to destroy them. Yeah. It's either that or or let the public know about the supernatural. And I suppose if there was a monster, that linchpin to the health of the world, they might have to do that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Can you think of any monsters that are unhideable that the Bureau would just have to come clean about? North mythology. Isn't there like a dragon around the earth tree? I I can't pronounce the name of it, but yes. Yggdrasil. Yggdrasil is the world tree. Ragnarok, I think, actually is the dragon. No, that's the event. That's the final battle. But yes, there is a snake. Not Fafner, is it? That's a wolf, I believe. No, that's Fenris. Fenris is the wolf. See, I told you I didn't know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, I know. The Midgard Serpent, that's it. There you go. That's it. Yeah. The Midgard, yes. Kill that thing. You can't move it. It has to be there by the world tree. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, if you kill it, then the uh, you know, the world tree dies, and you do realize if you're able to kill the Midgard serpent, you don't have a whole lot of other problems in your life if you can kill the Midgard serpent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you want to turn around and be ruler of the world, yeah. <laughs> if you're a Bureau 13 agent. The Midgard serpent has decided to go off and trundle about. I mean, have you guys seen that movie Trolls? Yes. That was a good example of this, where you had them on reservations, but for some reason they were trundling out of there and they were becoming pretty unhideable. It was a real problem. The, the guy who was the troll hunter, called troll hunter, not trolls, in Norway, and he had to stop them and get rid of them before the public knew about them. Oh, yeah. That was, in some ways, a very sad movie. Especially that one when it was like close to 100 feet tall. Ooh. 100 feet? It was more like 300 feet. He was Godzilla-sized. Yeah. He was taller than those uh, high-tension wires. He's Godzilla! Ah! And he was leaning against a rock wall. He looked like a piece of rock. Yeah. So that's how he was able to hide. He was up in those mountains, and as long as he stayed there, it was fine. But he was leaving because there was a problem. And the, and the problem in the movie, well, should we tell them? Spoilers. Spoilers. When did the movie come out? It's been at least a year. Yeah, I think that's good. Spoilers. They find out that for some reason they've contracted rabies. And so they're literally going crazy. Their erratic behavior is driving them out of their safe areas. Now, these are more Toklan-style trolls. So if they get hit by sunlight, they die. Yeah, they literally turn to stone. Something like that one the size of a mountain. Where was he hiding? He was hiding someplace, and he was driven out of his home, and he probably wouldn't last much longer anyway. Yeah. He was about to move out of his protected area into some areas with towns and such, and so all you need is a 300-foot-tall troll walking around. Yeah, and then die and fall in your town. Well, that'd be even better, wouldn't it? Yeah, take out three or four city blocks. Lane that one, Bureau 13. America's got its own different kind of monsters. Besides Sasquatch, there's the... What's that one in New Jersey? New Jersey Devil. It's not that big. Yeah. It's not that big, but it's it's a problem. It's not humanoid from what I saw, so, you know, you got to deal with that. It's more animalistic. 
Yeah. That's one of those critters that actually may have an ecological niche it fills. Right. Yanking it out may actually cause more problems. Maybe the Jersey Devil lives off something that's even worse than he is. But as long as it's there and predates on, on this critter, other critter, everything's fine. Take out the Jersey Devil, you're up to your hips and death beetles or something, or, or giant earthworms. Good Lord knows who knows what. As you can see, a gentle listener's there are many different monsters that could fall into this category of unhideable monsters. They're great foils and great adventures for Bureau 13 Ages to come up against. We hope that you will take these monsters and now include them in your Bureau 13 campaigns or whatever game that you play with supernatural elements. Perhaps provide the players with opportunities to discover some of these methods of eliminating them, hopefully in a kind and gentle fashion, but sometimes you just got to do something that you just got to do and that's okay too as long as they understand what their options are and they can see maybe a little bit outside the box of monster kill it we, you know, we hope you've enjoyed this discussion and we will be back with more things on the various tri-tag games if you have any topic ideas you'd like us to discuss please Post them to our Facebook fan groups, Bureau 13 Agents Everywhere, fans of the TriTech Games podcast, and of course, Bridgeworthy RPG fans. Yep. Paul, I'm sorry you couldn't make it this time. This wasn't one of your topics, but you provided us with lots of great topics to discuss. And we will have more for you next week. But until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. This is Amber. It's all fun and games until the DM rolls a one. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, cause we're some bad mothers. This is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.